yes, at the time, that was when I was managing Lower Marsh Market and we were looking after, after Lower Marsh and all the, the retailers. And you came in and uh, you said you had this idea for a unit which we'd really wanted to fill for a long time. So it was great to have someone coming in and, and having an idea for something that sounded very exciting for Lower Marsh. But I do remember thinking it, was, it must have been very early stages of your ideas of what it was going to be. And it was kind of bookshop slash event space slash cafe slash just general space and, and that's right we kind of thought it sounds amazing but what i don't what <laughs> this is the traveling through podcast i'm your host emma and today's guest is will dyson london as he says is in his blood but london has also challenged him to like his city of birth this is will's story about london the world and life seeing it all come to life and I guess the concept kind of became what it was because of the people that went into the shop and used the cafe and, and yes. used the space and, and suddenly it made sense. That kind of ambitious vision for a, a retail space, on paper it's, it's, it could be quite difficult to imagine how people would use it and I think it really established itself as a quite a unique space for people to come and enjoy and yeah, I mean, yeah, my mum was in there most of the time she chatting was, to people. She was in there. I'm really not sure how much, uh, how many books she bought, Emma. I think it was I probably more did. coffee. <laughs> she did. She did enjoy the coffee and and the and the cake. That's for sure. But so did lots of people. And yeah, no, she did buy books, particularly around Christmas time. Oh, well. I'm sure. Yes. But what was so wonderful about that space and being within the Waterloo bid area, mm. which which you were a part of, was was the fact that there was such a local community I mean bigger than I had yeah. actually realized and that 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 made the place or traveling through such a hub yeah of people that kept reconnecting and seeing yeah. each other over and over again and then you had the input of people who were just literally traveling through whether yeah. they were yeah um, I mean it's such a unique position Lower Marsh because because it's so close to the station and it was a kind of route for people walking to the station it had a very transient group of people that would just be you know coming in and out of work or even tourists as well there's a huge amount of tourists coming into Waterloo and getting a bit lost and yes. ending up on Lower Marsh and then also you had such a an established community both residential and all of the retailers and and the people that worked on Lower Marsh as well so yeah yeah it's it was a very I mean when I applied for the job there I really didn't know it at all other than having been down there on the way to the Imperial War Museum and it was a nice nice sort of market street and as you say you, you don't quite realize what's behind all of that and exactly the, the people yeah. that are there and the stories I mean yeah. some of the stories were just <laughs> and the fact that many people had lived in that area for 20, mm, 25 mm. years as well. Yeah. That was an, yeah. And they had known that area in a very different era yes. of, of it being extremely run down and then seeing it slowly mm. coming up again yeah. after, after being a very thriving market space. And then... Yeah, and I think that was one of the challenges is, and it's a challenge that comes with a lot of change really is that people will always remember the the sort of heyday of, a, of an area and and oh it was much better back then when the market was selling xyz and you know it was always there was always a <laughs> reference to a stall that sold everything from socks and underwear yes. to shampoo and that kind of stuff and and people kind of say oh, that's what we need down here now and and actually when you're trying to instigate 
change and adapt to change because it's mm. not it's not like you know anyone came along and said no this doesn't work um we need to stick a food store here instead yeah people yeah. you know shopping habits change and what people want from an area changes and i think that can be challenging for those people that have been there for a long time and want to want to still have that that atmosphere that was there and and you know yeah. areas change and it's yes. really it can be really challenging Okay, so Great. after a slight technical hitch, sorry about that, Will. We're back, um, we're back in business. So, <laughs> so we were talking about the bids, the business yes. improvement districts. districts. Yes. So you worked actually in three. You've worked in three separate districts: the Water, yeah, Waterloo, yeah. Baker. Is it Baker Street? Baker Street. Yeah. And now currently, Bond now, Street, Oxford Street. Is yes. It? Now currently the West, well, New West End Company. So we cover Bond Street, Oxford Street, and Regent Street. But I do also do a bit of work in um, in other bids and other areas. I'm, I went into consultancy, so I can kind of do a little bit of um, work here and there, which is is nice, really, because I get to be involved in such a broad range of different projects in yes. different areas. So yes, it's good. So at Baker Street, I was doing more of the operational side of things, but I'm now more around sort of the place making. It's known as placemaking, but what does that mean? Um, Place, placemaking. Placemaking, okay. yes. So public realm projects, planting, um, transport projects, anything around the sort of public space um, okay. is, is my stuff at the moment. Yeah, I think the last time we spoke, you were improving the cycle lanes or, and, uh, and yes, also, probably. Uh, also <laughs> cycling yeah. uh, places for people to sort of lock yeah, up their bikes and everything. In, we're doing a lot of work around the recovery reopening after after lockdown yes. and um there's a big sort of drive to walk drive is the wrong word but there's a big uh, focus on pedal. cycling <laughs> pedal towards cycling yes. and um i think as people are returning to work or they will return to work later in the year there'll yes. be much more of a focus on sustainable transport and yeah you know i think there's a great opportunity although the 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 root of uh, of how it's all come about is obviously not great but the opportunities that lockdown and the pandemic has presented for placemaking are actually quite exciting really you know mm -hmm. there's a much greater focus on walking on pedestrians on on space really i guess um yes. strangely enough by the requirement from a public health point of view to provide more space has forced local authorities and and similar organizations to ours to look at the amount of space that the public have to use and how that space is used mm -hmm. um and it, it it's quite exciting really some of the the projects that are coming through from that and that's not just in london but across the country and across the world paris have got exciting plans for the champs Elysees around more of a focus on people using the public space it's no longer about roads and yes it's such a racetrack movement. isn't it yeah <laughs> but it didn't used to be at one point so it used no. to be quite a very much a shopping district and yes. much more calmer so talking of cars we're, yeah. now, we're now on the merton road but we're actually going to duck back down into king george's park and walk yep. along by the river wandle yes um, which will be a nice space Might but this quieter. is an area that you were brought up in yeah, around here. yeah. It's funny coming back. I don't often come. I mean, my parents still live here. Yeah. Um, so I do come back. Uh, this, this past year, I haven't because we've been unable to 
uh, spend a lot of time with our families over the past year so yeah. it's very strange coming back to this area yes, having yes. known it so well growing up yes and this now you're actually the other end of london from from being yes. a, a south london <laughs> boy to being a Yes, uh, gone north, north of the river and, and, and east of it, yes. <laughs> yeah. Why did you choose that um, area of London? I mean, to be perfectly honest, it was uh, more of an opportunity than a necessarily a conscious choice. But I had a friend who had bought a flat in East London, in Hackney, at exactly the right time. It was just, okay. uh, just pre or, or slightly post-Olympics, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah, there was a lot of regeneration money put into Hackney particularly around that area so there was a spare room going um, mm -hmm. when I moved back to London having lived in Manchester and that was the opportunity and I think I didn't really know very much about East London so it was less of a being drawn to the, <laughs> the sort of bright lights and cool yeah trendy places in East London and more of a sort of ended up there it was um, a convenience or just yes, happened to exactly. be it was more but by, very by glad I did than, really yes <laughs> yes because it's a very kind of happening part oh, yes. of London now isn't it from being quite run down and yeah um, yeah industrial yes it's it's a really interesting part of town to live in and actually you know I think for all the fact that there's a there's a kind of joke about how painfully trendy it is <laughs> and yes. we we kind of roll our eyes at some of the the concept stores or the um you know trendy cafes and bars and things yeah pop-ups um, as well pop -ups yeah, and yeah. stuff like that actually that's really exciting to be around and we were talking earlier about when you first approached us about the the concept for the the shop on lower marsh and yes, it's those yeah. kind of interesting ideas for using space and and engaging with people that that make a place what it is yeah and i don't yeah. i you know i'm kind of of the opinion that there are a certain amount of those businesses that are sort of plonked somewhere where they're not necessarily that's not what would have been there before and it might not be appropriate for the space and ultimately it may not work out because there isn't the demand for that mm. but there are a lot of really good businesses that are engaging with not just the community in terms of the the sort of affluent population that would have um, you know the disposable income and the desire to go and spend money in those places but yes. also engaging with the community more broadly yes, and yes. Um, there's some sort of really interesting projects around East London that I think help to yeah help to develop a community mm -hmm. um, and mean that you don't have this kind of top-down approach to gentrification which everyone's a little bit allergic to they um, are yes <laughs> I mean it, that's interesting because your sort of your home life shall we say is in within that kind of nucleus yes and yet <laughs> your work life is very much in the opposite yeah world, yeah with, with very um, big commercial properties yeah. buildings um, and yet that is all kind of been shaken to its core at the moment mm -hmm. isn't it with pandemic and and places closing yeah and I think it's uh, it's an opportunity it's quite daunting really because we don't know what the next 12 months we don't know what the next five to ten years looks like in terms of the economy in terms of how spaces will be used particularly when we're talking about offices, yes, I think yes. there'll be a real shift in that expectation that people will be in the office five days a week. Exactly. Um, yeah. And even that they'll be commuting at the same times that they were. So I think there'll be a lot of adaptation that needs to happen from um, from places to to look at how they're used and, and when people come and use them and 
um, what, what they kind of want from an area really. It will be both exciting opportunity, but also it's, it is quite daunting really. Uh, and for you from, and, and the, the whole kind of management team that works on these projects, it's turning the whole strategy almost on its head yeah. from, from <laughs> a model that everyone was very familiar with, with suddenly having to try to predict what the model yeah. is going yeah. to be going forward. Yeah. And no one really knows how that's going to look like. So how? Yeah, I think <laughs> certainly there's um, there's a sort of very short term role that we have to play in support for businesses, uh, security for the area. When the very sort of basic level, all of the shops were closed and they had stock within the shops, and someone had to be around the area to protect the properties, and that was a real concern for businesses. Yeah. Um, encouraging customers to come back, providing hand sanitizers signage for queuing all of those sort of short-term measures that helped businesses to really get through that difficult time and then also encourage a sustained growth back into you know whatever the future looks like and yeah. then there's the longer term you're absolutely right we don't know what the future holds we're having to look at things like consumer surveys to understand what people's shopping habits might be mm -hmm. what, what they may well be looking for when they do come back to shop Yes, um, if they come back to if shop. If they come because, back to shop. Yeah. I mean, certainly when you see, particularly in, in my area, the number of vans. Mm. The vans that are just... Um, yeah. Sorry, you just cycled over <laughs> their <their're> street chalk. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> um, how... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, how vans are just delivering. Yes. Everything's online and everybody seems to be consuming a huge amount even though they're telling us that we're actually consuming a lot less but no I, I i agree but i think also there's a i think people have appreciated a lot more spending time in an area and i think even though there won't be the traditional retail environment where people will necessarily come and want to buy exactly what they want and then leave again yes. there may well be a shift towards more of a, a sort of experiential shopping experience and um, particularly for somewhere like Oxford Street there's a real opportunity to develop that that sort of um, opportunity for a place to linger spend time mm -hmm. um, and actually visit as a destination rather than okay my destination is Topshop's a bad example because it's not that important, but you know, a place, a, a particular retail that you're going in. Like John Lewis. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And it's more about, okay, so we want to go and visit that place, that, that district, that area, and we want to spend time. You can, you know, get your lunch, you can get your coffee, you can sit down outside, you can experience a, a park or a garden. And I think that that's where that placemaking element comes in. Yes, um, yes. And I think the retailers are really looking for us to join all of those dots and see how we can we can develop a real strategy. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think when you, I, mean, I certainly noticed that when 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 Oxford Street is heaving, <laughs> which it used to be in the past anyway, and but I always used to try and walk the street behind the parallel street, yeah. and it was like, oh, finally yeah. I can breathe. Yeah, and there's yeah, yeah. Literally yeah. nobody, nobody there, and it's a, and those streets, whether it's one street parallel two mm. have the lovely squares and everything and yeah. it's almost like a, yeah. a, a forgotten it's Absolutely. forgotten yeah beyond actually oxford street itself and yes there's a, the potential isn't there for sure and i think people during the certainly you know i during the lockdown you kind of you appreciate 
space a bit more and when you're to a certain extent limited to how much time you can spend outside of your home yes. suddenly w our eyes were opened a bit more to even just things like the architecture I mean, you walk down Bond Street and none of the stores are open so you're not looking at the shops you're looking above you're looking the up. shops and you're looking <laughs> at all of the architecture that's yes. along Bond Street and there's a huge amount of history there definitely and yeah. I think you know people will appreciate being out in London again and will appreciate those spaces and spending time with other people and yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah hopefully anyway hopefully <laughs> we haven't all become hermits <laughs> <laughs> yes well I mean if we become more of a cycling city that would be fantastic yes. too because yeah. that that just slows everybody down yeah um and you have an opportunity to look around you rather than yeah you know, trying to make sure you're not knocked off your bike by a yeah, and that's how I, I do think that not just London, but a lot of places have changed, not just imme in the immediate term from the pandemic, but over a much longer period, there's been a, a sort of shift towards places that are more connected. Um, we're not just sort of getting in the car and moving from A to B. We're understanding what that journey is and enjoying that journey. And I think there's a lot more opportunities for that through as you were mentioning cycle lanes more walking routes and and sort of encouraging people to use those routes as well yes yes um, i'm a strong advocate of walking as much as possible yeah <laughs> yes lots I mean, of people have discovered that as a new thing during lockdown I think as well so, definitely know, i mean look today are. how every <laughs> there's so many people out all walking around and yeah which is nice to yeah nice to see that i think i really like that about london as well that you can connect the different places you know, it's it's a huge city but at the yes. same time it's also it's not a huge city when you walk between places and you understand exactly. where places are i have this memory of when i was young yes go into town on a bus rather than get on the tube where you go underground and then you pop up at your destination yes, and yeah. you don't really have a sense of where you've been mm -hmm. whereas the bus although it takes longer i quite enjoyed that part of the, I, Yes, even yeah. would say that I probably got on the bus just to have a bus journey at one point. But <laughs> I, you know, there was the number 14 bus that went from Putney, it was Putney Bridge all the way into Piccadilly Circus. I used to sit on the top deck of that in the, in the front window and, and look at where we were, you know, as you go through Fulham and Chelsea and up along past Sloan Square and all through town and suddenly that made sense to me that this is, this is where I was living and grew up and yeah. Um, this is how all of these different parts of London are connected. I, yes, I love yes. that. It's no longer a monopoly board, but actually no. <laughs> real districts that, that, that link together. Yeah, for sure, yeah. yeah. Growing up in London and then going to Manchester to university, mm -hmm. studying geography there, influenced by your bus trips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then coming back to London again. Do you see London in a very different way now? Um, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's this sort of obvious way where I left London as a teenager and returned as an adult so that definitely changes your the way you experience a place yes, um, yeah and then also I think the um, the nature of the work that I do I am very happy by the the idea of being very integrated in, in sort of London's development and understanding not just in the specific districts where I work but yeah. more generally across the city you sort of see all of this development and sort of the, ch the changing face of the city and that's really exciting to be involved in that and I you know when you're when you're living in London um, and you're not necessarily connected to all of that you, you kind of just stay in your bubble of 
you know what yeah. you what you experience and even growing up that bus trip into central london was a a treat to go into town otherwise you're kind of in your bubble of even though we're not far from town here yes yes you are just you know you, where you go to school and where your friends live and you know all that sort of um that social bubble that you're in yes yeah, so you're sort of in in a village or a town within mm. london itself aren't you <laughs> and then and then, you and then when the you're an adult picture. in london it's that social bubble is is burst it's kind of out yes. everywhere and and that's really quite fun and exciting yes yes i mean for you particularly seeing london with different faces mm. i i would just want to make this connection with books as well traveling through having been a bookshop yes <laughs> <laughs> and um and you're also a member of the book club yes so um if london to you was a character <laughs> what what would what characteristics would it have um well i think so i'm quite interested by the, this idea that a lot of people you don't get many people that you encounter who are from london who have grown up in london particularly when you're sort of in a professional environment a lot of people have moved to london to yes, work yes yes and i think there's, there's this idea that london is quite it's a place that you are temporarily at a certain point in your life and it serves a purpose for work and fun and just generally that sort of fast pace part of your life and then but there's a kind of expiry date on that mm -hmm. and um I'm really, I'm always really interested when people say, oh, you know, really loving London, but you know, it's not forever. And at some point I'll need to slow down. And I kind of think London's that character of, of the, there's so many different aspects to the personality that people only see this really loud, uh, somewhat sort of cruel side to it, where it's, it's you know, it very, spits you out it's eventually. Got, exactly, it's got this sort of, element of anonymity and it's it's got an element of um of debauchery and it's kind of this this character that you think they're really fun and you, you want to sort of spend time with them but actually they're they're not forever they're not going to be the one that that gives you a hug when you're feeling feeling low and everything yes and then and then they're the character that has that side to them that you you suddenly see at certain times and you realize they're not just this this sort of facade that that everyone perceives them to be they they do have that heart and soul and um to me growing up in london and now living in london i really feel that and i don't feel like at some point i'll need to move away from london because because i can't sort of have that that lifestyle it's it, to me london can encapsulate that lifestyle yeah yeah you know you can you, you can have all these different parts of your life that can coexist um, within this city, for sure. We say that as we're walking down a yeah. really busy road. Another one. Yeah, we're just we're it's on. It's just a lovely, peaceful place. <laughs> we're on the, on Garrett Lane, and everybody's this the stay at home yes. is definitely uh, not happening today, is it? Everybody's out and about. We'll come off this street now, anyway. And but I think that you road, know yeah. that to me. I, d I don't I don't see it as overwhelming because because it's London I see it as you know that there are aspects of living in a city which are overwhelming and tiring and tricky and absolutely if you don't if you sort of allow yourself to partake in that for 
however long and, you, and it's not sustained, that's no, you know, that, that's absolutely natural and that happens, but yeah. it's not, I don't think that that's necessarily absolutely essential for when you live in London, you're going to be completely consumed by all of this. So where, where do you go where you want to see the hard hitting kind of lively party side of London? Obviously not at oh, the moment. Oh well, right? outside my front door in Dalston is a start. <laughs> you, you just need to come you just out step your front out, door. Just open the window and that's oh, really? enough. <laughs> Fantastic. No, I think, well, I mean, that's the other thing about the difference between growing up in, in Southwest London, very sort of quite leafy family Sedate. suburb and then yes. There are some really fun places in, in East London, in, in Hackney and Dalston, where there is a, it, it's a very, it's quite hidden really. You know, you wouldn't, if you walked down the road, you wouldn't, you're not surrounded by a, by all of this sort of exciting clubbing and all of that kind of stuff. I think you've got to sort of find it, but when you do find it, it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, it's a warehouse at the end of some alleyway somewhere which you don't realise is there and suddenly you're in the throngs of a kind of rave type thing. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and that's that's really exciting. We can go in Should this way through? actually, I've yeah. never actually sure. been to. So we're now stepping out of the, whoops, still connected by a cable and a gate, which <laughs> this is very uh, tricky. Fun. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, there we go. Okay, and we've just entered the very quiet Wandsworth Cemetery, which in yes. fact I've never been in before. <laughs> Have you? I was about to say I've never been in either, but I was going along because you, uh, you sort of said it with such conviction. I, I did. Thought, oh yes, of course, it's, the cemetery. I've cycled alongside it <laughs> many a time, but and I've always thought it'd be really lovely to come in and just yes. experience. Cemeteries are beautiful places, they're very quiet places as well. So. Yeah. But where, where do you go for some peace and quiet in London? Well, a... I think we were talking earlier about the sort of the side streets around the, the busy areas and I think there is a, a certain amount of peace to be found in in some of those those parts of central London that aren't as busy and I quite I just as much find peace in walking through the city on a Sunday I mean any day to be honest at the moment because yes, <laughs> there's no one in the offices but when there's a, a sort of being amongst the buildings is just as peaceful for me as being amongst the trees in a forest or you know out in the countryside somewhere that's not to say I don't need that element as well I think it's really important to mm -hmm. connect with nature mm -hmm. uh, which is why I'm, I'm also a strong advocate of bringing nature into the city yes, yes through trees and greening and having those kind of breakout spaces where people can spend time yes um, and there are a lot of small hidden spaces all around central London particularly with next yeah. to the, the old yeah. Wren Christopher Wren churches yes and, yes exactly um, yeah and they, you come across them when you least expect them and mm. there are a lot of them as well so yeah yeah and I think there are some some lovely parts of, of central London which can be discovered and offer a certain amount of peace as well but then there are also parks and open spaces where you can go and particularly in East London, there's, you know, if you go up to Epping Forest or there's Hackney Marshes, which yes. are, are lovely. Big open spaces. Walthamstow Marshes and... We're at Walthamstow Marshes, I haven't been yes. there. There's cattle on the marshes. Uh, there yeah, are cattle? There are cattle on the marshes, oh yes. Oh my goodness. Not I all the time. That. And yeah. I don't know where they go when they're not on the marshes, <laughs> but... 
Uh, yes, they're doing they're... their day job, obviously, <laughs> somewhere. Um, and then they've just opened up more of the wetlands. There are reservoirs up there, which they've turned into uh, wetland nature reserves. Okay. And there are loads of nesting herons, and it's it's a really nice nice place. Because yeah. that's something I've really noticed in since what. This is early spring, but suddenly there are so many more birds yeah. <laughs> than I've ever seen. Or maybe I'm just noticing more, but um, it yeah, seems there are more that's around. That's true. Yes. And more parakeets, which is a Lots huge Lots of parakeets. Issue. They like the, um, the salt in the bricks Do they? in my block. And so they know. attach to the wall and they will lick the salt. I think um, someone told me this and I'm probably spreading a, a myth here, but... Um, yeah, so they attach themselves. So sometimes I wake up and to the sound of lots of very noisy parakeets outside the window and they're attached to the side of the wall. Um, well, I suppose actually, if you think about it, in the cages, they would have salt bars, wouldn't they? Yes, yeah. So it would make that's sense. True. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they don't have a, and they don't have, they have no known predator. No, well, I think maybe, but that's one of the interesting things about how quickly they've spread around London. Yes. Um, in all the parks. In fact, within your business district area, how are you dealing with things like pigeons and <laughs> rats and things like that? Thankfully, that... I don't have to get too involved in uh, in that part of the business, but it is, uh, yes, it is a bit of a problem. I think, though, when it comes to biodiversity within the, within the areas that we work, um, it's really important that any development, any new infrastructure that's put into an area biodiversity is considered so um you know things like beehives on roofs things like green walls planting infrastructure sustainable runoff uh, and drainage um all of these things considered and and there is a way of incorporating that into new developments in a really creative way which mm -hmm. it's not it's not difficult to do it's just someone has to has to make that kind of you know put that in there and and stipulate that that needs to be the case and i think that that's certainly changed from a planning perspective as well yeah in yeah. recent years where there's a, an acknowledgement that biodiversity greening air quality all needs to be considered in in development yeah yeah yes so london london's character is is a it's, it's quite a nice character really <laughs> yes i, mean, I think so yeah I, once you get to know it and it does take a little time <laughs> to get to know it it particularly does um, and for you, that must be, it is quite strange, isn't it? When it's your, it's something that you've, it's in your blood, you've, you've been brought mm. up with it. So mm. you don't know anything else except for this kind of a yeah, yeah. world. Uh, and so when you go to other cities, do you f have an affinity with cities rather than? I think so, yeah. I think, you know, you, if you're used to being in an urban environment, then that's, that's a part of you. And mm -hmm. I certainly feel that when I travel, I'm drawn to a lot of urban life. Mm -hmm. um, I do really connect with nature and I think it's, it's so important to find that space in nature where you can get that peace and, and, and there are some amazing parts of the world, natural parts of the world, but there are also some amazing cities. And yes, yeah. It's probably bad a... to say, but I, <laughs> I really do love going to cities. Do you? No, I mean, I, that makes, it kind of makes sense because it's a familiarity mm, as well, isn't mm. it? So, and do you have, um, from the places that you've traveled to around the world, because you've traveled a lot, 
I know you came, well, yeah. it seemed to me when you came <laughs> into the bookshop, you were always after a travel book. <laughs> I was, <laughs> And you yeah. were going to India and Mexico and, yeah. and lots yeah. of city, actually in fact lots of city breaks if I remember rightly too. That's right. Um, that you... Um, yeah, yeah, I had, I, I remember growing up, I had, uh, I, it was either Lonely Planet or, yeah, I think it was Lonely Planet had a big coffee table book of the 50 greatest cities in the world or something like that. And um, I just obsessed over it when I grew up, <laughs> to the point where I thought I need to tick all of these off on my list. I, number one was Paris, I remember that. Mm. Um, and you've been, obviously. And I've been, yes. Yeah. And, and I would say it's probably one of my favourite cities. Yes. Not least because it's so accessible to us here. Definitely. In, in normal times, it is yes. anyway. Yeah, yes, on an old <laughs> In fact, day. it was the last place I was when coronavirus became really serious and lockdowns started to come in. Mm -hmm. Paris went into lockdown a week before London. Oh, did it? I yeah. was in Paris. So you <laughs> and got managed to get home because they obviously, you know, the Eurostar and everything was still running at that point. But yes. it was the Friday night was out in crowded bar, which seems totally absurd to think now and to talk about. And you know, you sort of feel a little bit ashamed of it, really. But you know, we didn't know any better then. We were out in bars and and enjoying nightlife yeah. and then that was the Friday night and on the Saturday night at midnight they closed all of the cafes, shops, restaurants, everything. Wow. So it was really quite a dramatic shutdown and had to walk through uh, the streets of Paris wondering whether I'd get a Eurostar back to London. Really? Yeah and, uh, and that was the last place I was and I kind of, I travelled a lot before that Yes. and maybe was thinking at that point, gosh I really hope it's not too long before I can travel again. Um, <laughs> I probably didn't think it was going to be a whole year. No. Um, so have you been? <laughs> have you been scheming since then? Planning <laughs> when? Who hasn't? Yeah. <laughs> uh, where? Where? Where is first on your list? Well, I think I couldn't not say this, but my brother lives in Madrid, so number one on the list is to be able to see my brother. Okay. And my family enjoy Madrid a lot. We go there. Yes. quite frequently so I think going back there will be important mm -hmm. when we can mm -hmm. um, on a more superficial level I think Japan is probably quite high on my list it yes. has been for a while it has on mine too yeah yeah I've just been thinking when will it be kind of traveling as it was before I'm hoping that these cities will regain the character that they had before yeah I think it would be naive to think that you can shut down for that amount of time and then reopen and everything be back to normal i think regardless of whether there's social distancing and masks and yeah, etc yeah. i think the economies of our cities will undoubtedly there'll be an impact on their character and the kind of places that people go to and yeah there'll be a kind of roaring 20s <laughs> again and yes, um, we'll all want to go out as much as possible and maybe the cities will be the centres for them, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I also wonder whether, depending where, where you are in the world, how, how effective this kind of staying apart and mm. masks and everything will, will work. Somewhere mm. like South America, yeah. how, can you keep, how can you keep that, yeah. that yeah. whole joie de vivre mm. yeah. um, that they have and dancing and everything? How do you, how do you stop that when it's in yes. the blood yes you know and, I mean, there'll, and there'll be a sort of geography to to covid i think in in the same way that 
we have a geography to a lot of different diseases, whether it's yellow fever or... There are ways in which our societies are able to deal with health uh, mm. and there are some countries where it quite simply they do not have the infrastructure or the money to be able to do what we've been able to do here in terms of vaccinations and people being able to live comfortably separately um, and I think that that will have an impact on how Covid looks in, in the sort of next few years because it's not going to be eliminated anytime soon from, from the world and so that, mm. that will undoubtedly shape how people move around the world you know if we're restricted as to where we can go based on the pandemic and where it is I think that yes it's I'm all it's all connected yeah I, w I wonder whether it will also mean a mass movement of people to be somewhere knowing that this is um, perhaps an ongoing thing yeah so there yeah. may well be an, a, a big change um, yeah a movement yeah of people to almost position themselves where they want to be for the next yes five yeah. ten years I mean I'm sure we'll see it on a local level as well with the impact that this has had on people's priorities in life and I think a lot of people may leave London and, and mm. big cities because they realise that they would like to have that comfortable life outside of London and open space and not as many people around and I think it, it, it that will have a massive impact on um, yeah on culture and, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and our cities. And also if, if you're working from home you people are going to, going to want <laughs> yeah. more space to do that. Yeah. Because a lot of people have been working from home in very yeah. cramped conditions and oh, yeah. some yeah. obviously more than others will have the have the um, ability or the yeah. means to, to change that situation. If you're in a fortunate position where you can yes. afford to go and yeah. do your job from a beach in Cornwall, uh, then uh, rather than a a sort of one bedroom flat in Clapham then mm. I'm sure you'll yes that, that's a very appealing offer yeah. uh, which will then have this knock-on effect of planning and um, the yeah. movement of people yeah. within the UK itself and yeah both both detrimental as well mm. as positive yeah so for sure it'll be quite interesting to see how this all kind of plays out over yeah. the coming months for sure yeah well I've forgotten what the other questions <laughs> for you. Coming back to London again, you were very unfortunate, as, I don't know whether unfortunate is the right word or just unfortunate, is unfortunate as well as wrong time, wrong yeah. place, all these scenarios which probably played through your mind as to which one it, one it is, <laughs> um, that you were walking over Westminster Bridge. Yes. When a mad terrorist in a car yes. drove over and you unfortunately were hit by the yeah. car and spent some time in, in hospital as a, as a result. Did it change, has it changed your life in, um, in ways that you never thought it would do or has it given you Opportunity is the wrong word, but has it made you reassess how you see London and how you see your place almost in the world? I think it is undoubtedly life-changing for many reasons. Um, I think it, yeah, I mean, in answer to your first question, 110% it changed my life completely and 
Um, there's probably not a podcast episode long enough to go into all of those reasons, but yes. um, particularly with my relationship with the city and, and um, yeah, the city that I grew up in, the fact that it was a deliberate attack on on our city, on us, does make it does change it somewhat from if I was just hit by a car walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's much more to the context of it around the media attention, the at that point there had been a number of attacks in Europe and we were in essence waiting for something to happen yes and I do I, I, I remember thinking prior to the attack that the, the rhetoric in the in the media and in the sort of police advice and everything was that a, an attack is expected mm-hmm. um, it, it's sort of imminent and there's only so much we can do yes Never in a million years did I think I would be on the receiving end of it directly. Yes. But I do remember thinking it, it is it's going to happen. Mm. Um, it didn't stop me from doing anything. It didn't stop me from being in crowded places. It didn't stop me from getting on the tube. Um, I was in London when the 2005, when the July 7th bombings happened. Yes, yes. Um, like, so yeah. we'd, we'd, we'd had experience of it before mm. in the city yes the nature of the attacks in Europe at that time were you know hostile vehicle us- using vehicles as a, as a weapon but I don't think it's I, I never really thought um, you know I shouldn't walk down this street with my back to the road because I'm going to get hit and then it happens and it's a real it's a real sort of I mean, it's, it's just horrific in, in every way, but um, it makes you think about, this is my city. I was going about my life and suddenly it sort of stops suddenly and you're incapacitated in, in a number of senses. Yes. Both physically because you're injured and hospitalized and you have long-term injuries um, but then also you, you you are not able to mentally experience the city that you live in in the same way because yeah. um, for a long time I would not respond well to vehicles revving their engines or loud crowded spaces or yes. yeah. any sense of panic um, and I think that that was really difficult for me because I was very determined not to let it stop me living my life and yes. going to places that I want to go to. I remember my dad, one of the things he said sometime after the, the incident was that his biggest fear, or not his biggest fear obviously, but one of his fears was that I would decide to leave London and um, essentially would sort of fall out of of love with this city and yes or almost fear it and fe- uh, yes and, yeah. and fear it and I was determined not to and I think that, that it was a very valid concern because yes. um, all of my senses were telling me that I should fear this thing but I was so determined because I think it was a it, it was a sort of deliberate attack on 
on our city but also on me and I think that I wanted to make sure that I wasn't defeated by that yes yes and I think I owed that to myself but also I owed it I felt I owed it very strongly towards the other people involved mm -hmm. we were all just people going about our lives we were a cross-section of people in this city you know there were tourists there were people on their lunch break there were people just passing through um it 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 was a sort of typical day on the bridge yes and i had absolutely no sense of who else was on that bridge i was totally focused on what was going in my, on in my life i was totally focused on where i was going yeah i was rushing to get there other people were almost sort of annoying me by being in the way <laughs> which um, is a normal, which normal is a norm, yeah. <laughs> emotion in london the, isn't the, it the tourist pace of walking yes uh, yes <laughs> um and suddenly i was kind of thrown into this situation where the other people on on the bridge at the time all mattered because we were all in this in this horrible situation together and yes um i i had deliberately i wouldn't say that i had necessarily sort of proactively avoided learning about the other people involved at the time but I certainly didn't want to hear about the broader story and I say that it's difficult to describe why but I think I had separated the broader context of the incident mm -hmm. with what happened to me specifically and what happened to me specifically was what I was focusing on yes processing and, and healing yourself or exactly. trying to find yeah. a way to heal so i think learning about what happened in the moments prior and after my involvement mm. was just too difficult to get my head around yes yeah. particularly the fact that people had died yes yeah i found that quite difficult to to sort of understand how i process that as well as what's happened to me yes yeah um but one of the turning points for me was watching so it must have been maybe six months afterwards after the the inquest i don't know how long afterwards actually a while afterwards yes there's yeah. an inquest into what happened and there's a certain amount of evidence that's presented in court once that's been presented then it's available by the police for those that are were victims of the attack could Right. Um, get access to that evidence. Oh, really? Okay. So there was the offer to view the CCTV. Yes. And it was totally optional, and it was in a very controlled setting in a police station. Yes. Uh, they had a reconstruction, and then they also had the actual footage, which is a compilation of different uh, footage from buses, CCTV cameras on hotels and on lamp columns over the, the bridge as well. My and they goodness. cut it all together. And they essentially sort of tell the story of what happened mm -hmm. with you as the sort of center. Okay. And so I watched a video of me walking from essentially sort of in front of the hospital, St. Thomas's. Yes. And it follows me via a, a bus, a CTTV bus camera. You can see me walking along the, the pavement and I walk past the attacker in the car he's parked up oh by the goodness. hospital so you can see me walking past him yes and then it follows me all the way and then there is a fairly clear uh, shot of the impact 
and I think that was quite a moment for me on two levels because firstly I saw myself as I was then yes and I thought about how consumed I was by by my job at the time by getting to where I needed to go to I was rushing I was concerned about what I was wearing I was very I was I guess maybe I was um sort of wrapped up in that fast-paced London you know yes, that's working of... mode and yes. I didn't notice anything around yeah. me not that I should but yeah. I didn't I wasn't looking around me I wasn't aware of what was going on yes and at the point of impact I'm walking next to a man and he is also hit at the same time as me right. um, and he was one of the people that was killed and oh I always God. think of that that man because he his story is is you know was quite well reported in the press and he is also a Londoner and mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about this idea that we're all sort of going about our lives and that for that to happen to someone to just sort of be stopped in their tracks yeah and it was a real it really resonated with me having not really sort of looked into the lives of the other people that were involved and um you know ev everything else around it suddenly i felt this kind of affinity to him yes and so i think when i lay flowers on the bridge or i go back there and think about it or i sort of think about the the moment i i do feel a sort of affinity to him and having walked next to him on the street yeah yeah <laughs> in, in a busy city and for that to have happened, I think, yeah, you know, it, it was a real, it was a real kind of moment. And I'm very grateful that I was so lucky to have come out of it, you know, with yeah. only the injuries that I have yeah. um, and still have, but it's manageable. Um, and I think that really sort of spurred me on to not to owe it to not just myself but to him and to everyone else involved that this is not going to defeat us this is not going to cause a problem I'm going to stay strong and still go about my life in London Wow Will <laughs> that's um, there's a lot to have to have processed as well at that you know, in that moment as well as I mean I imagine you didn't it's taken you a long time to process it to this point what you're actually now verbalizing yeah yeah and now i i'm i think when we're thinking about how it's changed my feelings around london i think i feel a stronger affinity to london and i feel very proud of the city that i live in and the the vast array of people that i share the city with and um yeah i think in the in the time after the incident there was uh, London Bridge also happened and there was a lot of focus on community spirit within London yes and not letting those things um, sort of win as it were yes yeah. um, and I think that that's where the this character that we were talking about before um, <laughs> a moment of vulnerability for the city and then strength yeah that be the kind of counter counter to that cold hard exterior of the character yes yes 
and also it, it, it challenges you to still believe in London as, as, your, as your home, as your city, and, yes. and, and who essentially you are, which is a, a Londoner. Yeah. And, yeah. and being able to, to, to look at that challenge and, and say, well, this is London and it, all sorts of things happen that we don't know yes. happen to people every day. Yes. Um, and yet this was something very specific and personal to you. Yeah. And suddenly the challenges are right in front of your face and yeah. almost daring you to say, well, how are you going to, how yeah. are you going to, how are you going to, are you going to accept me or not? Yes, absolutely. And then I think it changes your, I don't know, your kind of outlook on, on life, which sounds really horribly cliche, but um, it does because you, you suddenly realise what things are important and what things are actually worth you stressing about. Yes. And I certainly physically slow down. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Because there's a certain amount of trauma wrapped up in that moment of stress and rushing and feeling out of control because mm -hmm. it was a sort of escalation of panicking about being late for something and rushing and you know getting annoyed by people on the street there was a certain amount of feeling out of control and then suddenly complete completely out of control yes of yes. of your body of your mind and um yeah i think there there's there's trauma in that and it's so important on every level whether it's that kind of acute trauma of something like that happening or whether it's just the trauma of stress in everyday life it's so important to just listen to yourself and listen to your body and yeah and yeah take that moment of actually this is important right now and this is not that important yeah <laughs> yes having a heightened awareness of yeah of what what is yeah. what is and what what isn't and the yes. priorities and yeah but we can all get that so completely upside down can't we <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and has that changed your specific relationship with westminster bridge um that's an interesting question i i would say it's it has definitely changed my feelings when i it's obviously changed my feelings when I go there because it's 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 a traumatic place to go. Yes. But it's also changed how I see that space, and it's a, it's a historical part of our city, which is so well documented because of where it is and Parliament behind it. And I I, I always have this kind of idea of that day and that moment is such an embedded part of our city's history now mm -hmm. and that for that few seconds I was part of this bridge's history which goes back so many years and that is the same for everywhere in our city yes yeah every building we go into we are we are a part of that history we are we are a part of that city and I think it, it sort of grounded me a bit more in 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 that space okay and I don't feel a sense of ownership over, over the space, but I do feel a sense of 
yeah, maybe that affinity again. I feel an affinity to the space. Mm -hmm. So when I go there, I know exactly where it happened. And I know yes. exactly the view that I saw when I, when I was conscious. Yes. And I also know that there are thousands and thousands of people that have stepped over that spot and have looked at that view and yes. have experienced that space. And that's to me is really kind of special. Yes, yes. It's not a particularly nice part of its history, but it's no, <laughs> it I is a part to... nonetheless. Yeah. So we've just walked across Wandsworth Common. We have not that I noticed any of it as I was <laughs> no, talking. No. <laughs> uh, I walked you right through a big muddy patch as well. Sorry, your, oh, your, your okay. shoes are probably that co <laughs> covered in mud. I apologise, <laughs> but I didn't want to stop you mid-flow. <laughs> <laughs> When you now go to other cities, mm. how do you go about going around a city? Are you more conscious of of where you go to as a, as a, a result, or, um, have, or have you? I mean, obviously, I imagine with time as well. Yes, it with will time. change. Yeah, and you can't rush these things either. I I don't think it does really. I think I. I think it almost kind of strengthened my need to be around those kind of spaces because it was such an important part of my healing process yes. to reclaim those spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and I was so determined that I wasn't going to let it stop me experiencing those places. Yes. And <laughs> it's another story that I won't go too much into, but there was uh, an incident on Oxford Circus uh, not long after in the same year, in fact. Oh, yes. And there was a, it was, it turned out to be not, not an incident, but yeah. it caused a, a great spiral Panicked, of panic. It? Yes. And um, I was unfortunately wrapped up in that and it, it triggered a really, uh, quite an intense panic attack that I hadn't experienced before and unlocked a lot of trauma for me, which I had to kind of work through after that. But yes. one of the things that, um, was important to me after that incident oh, was to go back to Oxford Circus as soon as I could okay. and um, to experience that space on a normal day because yes. because it was a it was a non-incident things went back to normal the next day and so I went back the next day and I just walked down the street normally and that to me was a really important part of reclaiming reclaiming that space and not letting it it get to me mm -hmm. um and yeah maybe maybe that links to my the value that i that i put on place and space and experience as a place yeah and i would be really frustrated at myself if i ever let the trauma that i experienced stop me from enjoying those spaces and from living living in those spaces yeah particularly not just in London, where it's a very familiar, you know, the, the, the spaces where those incidents happen are important, but also, you know, yeah, globally, um, whenever I visit cities and busy places and yeah, there are times when naturally things are trigger points for, of course, yeah. for things, but yeah, I, I, I would much rather find out what those trigger points are than live in fear of being triggered by something that I'm not really sure whether it will will have an impact and, and I place more value on, on my enjoyment of, of cities and enjoyment of nightlife and enjoyment of 
was going to say being around a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> we've well, not really experienced no, that I mean, in the last year. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, that's all <laughs> we have, but at a distance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think particularly with trauma, whatever trauma, we all sort of go through different traumas, and of course there are always triggers to that. And I, and I think with with the triggers, it almost it almost allows you, if that's the right word to use, to process that trauma mm -hmm. a little bit more mm -hmm. until the trauma sure. it helps to weaken yeah. the trauma or the feelings of trauma. Yes, and I'm a strong advocate for working through that and that's why it was so important to me to watch that video, the CCTV, because yes. that was my story and that was... I didn't want anything that existed about that experience for me, for me not to have, have seen it or read it or been exposed to it because it hurts and it, it was really difficult. Um, but it's, that's my story, that's my, yes. my sort of truth and I wanted to understand it as best I could. And I think that's the same for you know, a lot of things in life when um, something is difficult and it's, we're avoiding it. Yes. The best, I feel like the best thing to do is to work through that and to... Definitely, and if you have something tangible to, to use as that... Yes. As that, um, to help with that process, that's... Of course, yeah. Obviously, um, wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us, because uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, no, you're it's, it's now 2000 and 17. Yes, so it will be four years next uh, month. Next month? Yeah, yes. Yes. And yeah. have you, um, if I may ask, have you, have you made connections with, with others now from, that were on the bridge on that day? Y yes, uh, there is a, a very strong connection that I have with uh, the lady that helped me in the immediate moments after when I wasn't conscious, um, yes. who kept me at least alive, <laughs> um, wow. even if I wasn't mentally conscious, I was physically conscious. Yeah. Um, and we lost touch. Well, we we were separated because I was put into an ambulance and she couldn't go in the ambulance and um, spent uh, a month trying to track each other down. And eventually oh um, our paths managed to cross because she'd left me a message on Facebook. Yes literally about an hour after it happened but I hadn't picked up the message it had come through as a sort of request hidden somewhere within the depths of Facebook yeah. um, which I eventually discovered a month later and then we met up and we remain really strong friends now yeah so that's a really nice connection for me but the connection there is for me it's in, it was important because it was part of that story yes and so I needed her, that was part of the story, I needed to understand what had happened in the time when I couldn't remember and I couldn't, I couldn't sort of process what was going on. Yeah. So I needed that element of my, of my story. And from a purely selfish point of view, there was, a, there was a big part of it missing. But then also, she is a big part of my story because she, she kept me alive and I owe her well, there's no value you can put on that, but I I wanted to thank her at the very yeah. least. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
and that's why it's been important for us to remain friends and you know we've gone way past the the sort of well, we are friends we're not just strangers that you're not our polite friends across. Yeah. yes exactly yeah. so yes. i think that's been really good for my my um recovery as well uh, and i think outside of that it's a longer process of connecting other stories to my story yes um and i acknowledge that you know i will never i will never want to forget the broader context of it because it's it is so important to pay respect to those people that were involved and yes. weren't as lucky as i was um but to me for my own personal recovery i have to piece those stories together slowly of um, course yes and um i think otherwise it's it's quite overwhelming really to try and think about the whole thing as one and i do think about them as, as interconnecting stories yes, um yes so for a long time i i tried not to read anything about what happened mm -hmm. slowly that's changing um you know i will i will learn more about the different elements of the story which there were different parts of it that were more widely covered in the press at the time which i didn't read and yeah it's it's a it's a gradual process of of piecing together the the sort of bigger picture yeah. the important thing for me is that my story for me is there and I am able to yeah yes. to process it it's like with, with with everybody they are the central piece or the missing piece in the jigsaw yeah but yes. slowly that jigsaw will become a, a one jigsaw but it will take many years before that absolutely that happens. yeah 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 it is interesting talking about I, I don't often talk about it to be honest because I spent quite a long time talking about it and um, it, thankfully it's not such a central part of my life anymore. Mm -hmm. there, are a there was a time when it defined me very, very strongly because it was, you know, you'd, <laughs> you'd go to parties and realise that you'd already been introduced prior to your arrival as the person. Oh no. <laughs> and there's no disrespect to anyone but that, you know, it was a is a major thing yes um, yes and i think over time that's obviously softened and and actually i don't really talk about it very often with people unless it comes up yeah and it's interesting talking about it now because it's it's retelling a very familiar story mm -hmm. and as i talk about it i kind of think about different aspects of it and um it's all there much i was thinking about how well i would be able to talk about it yes purely from a an accuracy point of view because it's been so long since I've thought about it but um, it's all there yes um, and I'm, I'm quite sort of proud that it's all there because you know I don't know I think it's it's as an important part for my own recovery to document it and to talk about it and to yeah process it still as, as it is for, for everyone else involved you know my family and friends yes. and yes I, I mean, hope that people are comforted by hearing me talk about what had happened because it's not something that I want to forget and to put aside and it's yeah. rather like you said you know London London has its history mm. um you know Will Dyson has his history yeah. this is just one again a piece yeah. in your yeah. in the history of your life and and a moment yeah in in your life a very significant moment of course yes and I think everyone you. Ev I th you know everyone has that everyone has 
a story and I think it's really important that we own our stories and we um, we're proud of them and all of the nice parts of our lives are just as important as the the traumatic points the yes, the difficult times the the times that might take a bit more processing yes yes they are just as significant in fact in the in in um <laughs> in defining who you yes. are yes actually of course yeah yeah so we're nearly at Clapham Common already. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we both will deserve a coffee at the bandstand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if the coffee place is open. <laughs> the sun's still out, which is great. Yeah. Thank you again for explaining all that and, of and, and just to be so frank and, and open about it because I think that's really it's very special. Mm. <laughs> I feel it a privilege as well that you've yeah. talked about it. But we'll move on from that now. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, where in the in the in the world where you've 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 been to quite a few places recently like mexico and yeah. and to india as well yes. you went and these are all places that no doubt have had a big impact on you yes <laughs> and is there is there one place specifically or one um, incident specifically well, that, that changed things for you unsurprisingly i like to to attach meaning to places. <laughs> yes. That's kind of in my nature. Um, and I think I've been to a lot of really amazing countries and experienced a lot of fantastic food and done a lot of amazing things. So I attach really fond memories to all of that. And I think yes. that that's why travel is so important to broaden your, your sort of understanding of the world and experiences, etc. But I think when we sort of think about where's resonated for me and had an impact i think less about those amazing experiences in those countries because for me they are the the memories and the the really fun stuff to look back on yes the stuff that resonates for me are where there's there's sort of true meaning associated with it and um i did a trip uh last summer no summer before last yeah. summer we were locked down <laughs> right, yeah. uh, the summer before last <laughs> you're about to reveal something <laughs> you snuck out the country <laughs> <laughs> nothing happened last year um where i went up to the highlands of scotland mm -hmm. and retraced so my mum is scottish is she Okay. Yes, you wouldn't know. <laughs> well, she, similar to me, I'm Scottish and you wouldn't know there either. We go. <laughs> there we go. Um, and her mum, my granny, has a vast amount of information about her father's family who were shepherds in the very north, like north, north of Scotland. Right. So oh, wow. There's really nothing there. Um, and <laughs> so she's got it recorded all of the, the houses where they lived. Yes. And those houses are still standing. They were on the, the, at the time it was owned by the Duke of Westminster and they were employed as, as shepherds on the, on the land. And um, the houses where they lived are still standing. They are bothies for walkers. Yes. So I'd been doing a fair amount of research over the years of, of um, these places and bothies and mm -hmm. even just logistically how you travel there yep and then got a group of friends together and my uncle who's my mum's brother yes and we went up and we 
found the houses and did the the walks between them um ah. so we got the sleeper train up to inverness yes and then we hired a a four by four to traverse the single track roads as far as we could yeah um i mean it really is you you can't drive up to these places so we drove as far as we could and we literally left the car on the side of the road yeah. overnight and well it's a shepherd's walked. life isn't it well, yes. <laughs> sheep don't go down the street <laughs> so we walked um to the to the bothies and to my grandparents and mapped out i mean literally x marks the spot of where these places were yes um and there's a certain amount online you can find about the kind of walkers tracks and locations of buildings and census records i found so my granny's dad was one of i think it was 10 children um, <laughs> that's normal <laughs> and uh living in this shepherd's hut uh, and he was william ross so he was who i'm named after and it was the most beautiful scenery small little walkers bothy and beyond that on the side of uh, a loch so this is up the nearest town would be Durness. okay so it's very very north yes, north yes. coast of scotland and there's a little walkers bothy and beyond that there is uh, the spot where his mother who brought up all these children in that house she's buried um oh, with this wow. amazing gravestone which is a kind of how special uh, log carved out of stone <laughs> so we in the Scottish summer in the, the vertical midges? rain, <laughs> horizontal vertical rain, rain even. No chance for the winches then. <laughs> no. Uh, we managed to find the grave <laughs> on the side of this loch and we cleared all the bracken oh, and, and the moss off of it and cleaned it up. Yeah. And she's buried there with one of the children who died when he was 18. Right. Um, then the house as well, we stayed in that overnight and it's, um, we shared it with some bats. Did you? Who we thought were dead and then... <laughs> Uh, they came to came alive during the <laughs> oh night. Oh my goodness. So we stayed there and that was on the very north coast and then we travelled further south, not that much further south, still in the middle of nowhere, and found the two houses where so the parents of all of those children before they moved to this Boffy. Yes. He was sent to work as a as a shepherd in one house, yes. which is on Glendu. And then there is another part of the loch which is Glencool. And okay. she was the daughter from that household. And they ended up getting married and then moved to this, this other bothy where we stayed. Okay. So we found both of those houses as well. And wow. my granny said that when she was up there once, she was on a boat in the middle of the loch. At that point, you couldn't get to the houses. It was too difficult. But they saw them from the boat and they asked the boatman, how would they have met? They're on two sides of this loch. They're yeah. the only people around. How would they actually have met and got married? And um, the boatman had said, well, it was lust, pure <laughs> lust. Pure lust. <laughs> and when you're there, you kind of think, actually, there is nothing else around. <laughs> um, but the scenery there is just Stunning. breathtaking. Yeah. And yes. I think for me, that trip, both from a sense of the scenery and the land, just, just being in that place was incredible as a, as a trip in itself. Yes. And then to have that connection to those houses and the story and to find the grave was just that added kind of, actually this is, this place for me is, is really resonating. Yes, wow, that's fantastic. That's a lovely story. And I mean, not story, but to have that as, to have just traced your roots like that. Yeah. And, and 
good map. Um, <laughs> that's your geography degree coming to yes. its, into its own. Won't tell the stories when we got lost, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to take a photograph of us while we're by the oh yes by the bandstand. Yeah, hopefully one of them. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. So the coffee shop's closed, but we'll carry on. We've got to go down oh, this no way problem. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Are you cold? I'm, or I might put my coat on yeah. in a minute. It's a bit colder, isn't it, once you've Suddenly, been out for a while? Yeah, and also the sun's going. Yeah. It's, it's not summer yet, that's no. for sure. <laughs> so, Will, I've been asking you lots and lots of questions. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, is there anything that you wished I had asked you and I haven't? Oh, gosh. Well, I feel like we haven't talked very much about books. <laughs> that's true, yes. But um, perhaps, actually, it Do was more about stories from yes. life. Yes. <laughs> but do you have? Do you actually have? That's a good point, though. Let's have a quick, a quick question here. <laughs> what um, do you have a favourite travel book? Oh gosh. Um, well, I think that actually the kind of books that I really enjoy reading are probably more books that are set in really interesting places and take me to those places, and I can imagine, I can sort of immerse myself in. It doesn't necessarily need to be a far off place. It can be somewhere, you know, it could be London, it could be, it could be anything, but it's, it's a book that it's not necessarily integral to the story where it's set, but it mm -hmm. takes you to that place. Yes. And I don't get on very well with, with fantasy land <laughs> okay. and fantasy places because I can't, I can't really resonate with that. Yes, I, like I struggle something as where well. I, Yeah, I like something where I can, I can really sort of even just research afterwards and, and find pictures of it and sort of look at the place online. And I think that, that for me is, is um, what resonates. So it's less about travel writing and more about you know, literature in general, which is, is set elsewhere. But I think novels like Murakami's books have really inspired me to want to go to Japan. And yes. I think there's a, some really great foreign literature that, um, that just inspires travel. Um, mm -hmm. And I think growing up, that's what I was really into and interested in, yes. as well as the 50 greatest cities in the world coffee table book. <laughs> <laughs> so how many have you ticked off the list and how many have you got left that's to do? Okay. Do you know what? I should probably, when I'm able to go into my mum's house, I should probably go and look at how many of those cities I've now done. <laughs> yes. Do you know one or two specifically that you haven't, that you're dying to go to? Uh, well, Tokyo, yes. if I'm going to go to Japan. Um, I have never been to Vienna and um, I've heard lots of really good things about yes. Vienna. Vienna's um, very nice. So that would probably be on my have you been? A lot of history to Vienna, yeah. Well, Vienna is the, the hub really of kind of central Europe, I mean, the big mm. airport there. So when I yeah. was going to Kosovo and to the other Balkan of countries, course, yeah. there was, it was always a stopover in Vienna and then normally yeah. I had like half an hour max to run between terminals to catch the next plane so I was always this mad woman like running between <laughs> between between terminals or sometimes the plane would just kind of screech into the stand and they'd actually have to pick me up <laughs> from the aeroplane to get me onto the next way so in terms of Vienna itself I did because of fog actually I managed to um, uh, stay, a stay a long layover <laughs> stay over and uh, see the city and it was an, actually at Christmas time with the Christmas markets and, oh, and wow. it was yeah. beautiful, really, yeah. really beautiful. Great hot chocolates as well. Oh, that yeah. is good to know, <laughs> noted. <laughs> so, um, but yes, I should really go and do Vienna properly and do, go and visit Vienna. Yes. 
properly and, and uh, give it the uh, pr a proper time and <laughs> space to, to really yeah. uh, get to know it a little better than, than the way I have in the, p <laughs> in the past. So, yet to come. And Tokyo definitely is on oh, my yeah. list. Yeah. I'd love to go. Yeah, I think there's probably, I mean, I'm, I don't think there will ever be a point where I feel like, okay, I've, I've visited everywhere I kind of want to go to. I think there will always be new places that yes. I want to that will creep up on the list. <laughs> and do you see, so this is actually, let's make this the final question. Okay. Because right. <laughs> we've asked you so <laughs> many questions here. Um, do you see London as your, as your home? Do you ever see yourself not living in London? Um, yes. I think I've, I've made out to be a complete sort of London forever. <laughs> I will never leave. This is my heart. Uh, London will always be in my blood, but yes. I also acknowledge that there is a desire to want to to go somewhere else. And to, I think living somewhere is very different from visiting. Definitely. I think you, the sort of integration into the place and a bit like you know, coming back to our original point around Lower Marsh and not realising what's there until you actually become part of it. Yes. And I think yes. there's a desire to want to become part of somewhere else. Yes. Um, specifically where I have absolutely no idea <laughs> you'll know it when you find it yes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm open to opportunities that yes. sounds like a sort of call for a job but, you know, <laughs> if anyone's got any opportunities abroad I'm open to that <laughs> yes name is Will Dyson yes <laughs> <laughs> but no Will thank you you've uh, it's been really fascinating just hearing your inside story about London and how you how you view it from growing up as a you know from basically birth yes <laughs> from, so from school days to to going away to manchester to university and then coming back to london to work and then london throwing all its challenges at you too but yet still going out and seeing the world and and as you say it's a big world out there and there's a lot to see and yeah you're only in your 20s exactly <laughs> so there's there's plenty of time take all of that with no, a pinch of salt um. <laughs> no but i think yeah i mean you've lived in london london's been your life for mm. 20 yeah 7 28 years yes if i'm allowed to yeah. air that publicly <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> And, and, and that's a long time for, for yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, that is true, yes. So sure. don't underestimate your... No. As we get taken apart by, <laughs> by a child between the um, wires. No, that's been... I'm very much in... What a lovely way to spend a sunny February day yeah. walking it, around London. We've actually walked. So we've walked from King George's Park along by the River Wandle through Wandsworth Cemetery. And now we're in Manchester. I mean, it's amazing, <laughs> it's really. It's incredible how we've just kept walking. <laughs> Keep well, going, we'll be in Vienna. Yes. <laughs> well, I should just say thanks again, Will, for being on the podcast. And we'll catch up again, I'm sure, soon. If, if nothing else, at the book club. Yes. <laughs> um, I can't, I'm not quite sure what's... The next book is Joseph Conrad, isn't it? It is, yes. Um, yes. And, and actually, it's a book set in London. It is, yeah. I've forgotten the title. It, yeah, and it's I should know um, it. a, the secret agent. I That's think. right. Yes. yes, you're right. The secret it's agent a, has a shop in Soho. It's very yes. interesting. Yeah. I've yet to read it. But, uh, <laughs> so um, no, that's been really enjoyable. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. To all the podcast listeners out there, I hope you've enjoyed listening and been inspired by Will's story. Do share with your friends. Subscribe. And please leave a comment. Uh, we're always happy to hear from you and, and get to know what you're thinking. 
there'll be more podcast interviews coming soon. But for now, take care and thanks for listening.